The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he crowd, cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. The church fathers and mothers of thousands of years ago, the canons, all the encyclicals, all the history of the church always teach us, and really the New Testament too, that we're to strive to be like the saints of the church, and today is all saints. But whenever I hear the quaintness of that hymn, I just cannot strive to be killed by a fierce wild beast. I always wonder, what is that doing right there in the middle of that hymn? It's kind of like when you check into a hotel and forget to check the alarm clock and it goes off at two o'clock in the morning. I feel like that, a fierce wild beast. Death seems to unite all of us, of course it does, positively and negatively, the aspects are both positive and negative, equal at the same time. Um, You see people that you've not seen in years. It's always sometimes a a great reunion of folks. Um, And then at other times, it's a reunion of folks that you just assume not see ever again, um, depending on, uh, you know, your family status and all those sorts of uh, odd ends. Um, On the other hand, um, like that, when you at such a fusion collide people together, 
it's like atoms being thrown together, and sometimes bad things happen. And um, we see it a lot in, in, in our line of work. And so you're flung at a brother or a sister or someone the opposite of you, and you have these difficulties in the family all around the fact that someone has left whom you did not expect to leave, and they are now gone. Or even if you did expect it, even if you knew it was coming, the difficulty is still there. And I know that's kind of a downer, but um, let's think about it for just a few minutes. Um, I've done this exercise before, but if you will, just sort of let your life pass in front of you momentarily and, and think about those earmarks and places that are, are special and people. And, and take note, slow down. Um, your best friend may have made an appearance, your parents possibly, depending on your relationship with them. Maybe some of your siblings, maybe not. Your children, your grandchildren, probably your spouse. Maybe they were all there. But the question that I'm always interested in is who did you leave out? Who has been an integral person and a portion of your life who left an indelible mark upon you and why did you leave them out? Did they hurt you? Did they try to grab the inheritance? Did they steal your idea at work or the title of employee of the week as if that really mattered? Let me let you in on a secret, or maybe it's not. Maybe some of you know this, but you might be that person that has been left out by someone else. You might be that person left out for more than one person, as I make the assumption that I am. And that is a part of our human condition that we talk about so often. It's the sin of our life. It is what the writer of Revelation referred to in the chapter before this as the great ordeal. Before we get to this new Jerusalem, where there are no more tears and no more pain of death and God has made his home with those mortals. We go through this scene where you have those who are robed in white and he says to John, who are these? And John says, sir, I don't know who these are. You know. And he says, these are those that have come out of the great ordeal and they've been washed by the blood of the lamb and therefore they are robed in white. That is you and I. We are in the great ordeal and on our way to the new Jerusalem. But it's not without difficulty. It's not without pain. It's not without some suffering. One of the greatest atrocities that's done in the Episcopal Church especially, but in a lot of churches worldwide these days, is selling Christians on a bucket of goods that says when Christ died, there would be no more suffering. That's foolishness. Unfortunately, it does not work that way. He never said that. He did say that I would be with you no matter what. But we too have the things that we have to endure, the difficulties, the great ordeal. And before we get to that point where there is no tears, no pain of death. We walk the face of the earth, we toil, we love, we sweat, we approach the spiritual in our own ways. We stick our hand in the side of Jesus, conversely, we skirt the depth of sin and depravity 
hide that for which we would never want to be seen in the light. That is the great ordeal. All of this is hard work, makes us dirty. And like my mama used to say, you gotta wash up. So today, we come together to baptize these children into the, the death and the life of Jesus Christ to be made clean. And of course, we all know that children are not dirty. They're not stained. They're not like us. Um, they don't carry the baggage that you and I carry. Nevertheless, they are here, washing the notes on our part, submission and vulnerability. You have to have a willingness to be washed. Not everybody wants anything to do with it. People that come here for foot washing during Holy Week, you can see it. There are some that remain back, and that's fine. It's not a part of their practice. There are some that come for the first time, and they're petrified, and that's fine. I get it. It's difficult to be submissive and vulnerable and open yourself up to having your feet washed. If you don't believe me, go home today and take your garden variety cat and try to give them a bath. <laughs> My son did that one time. You have to be pliable, willing, and decisive. That is to say, you must decide, I'm going to make a go of this washing. And then it happens. It's that grace that we talk about so many times. The great ordeal is covered up with it. It covers all things. It doesn't mean that the ordeal ends. The fight continues. Now that you've come that piece back with me, you've come all this way, perhaps you've pondered deep questions. Let me bring you back to just one more thing. What happens when you are covered up by that grace? Well, you begin to uh, fix a bruised and hurt spirit, to remember those who have gone before in a different light and those who surround you now. For we are all a part of one people. As you sit here today, you might remember those who have gone before. I still grieve in a lot of ways, someone that I lost a couple of years ago and I'm still working through it, and you will for the rest of your life. Anyone who says that there's, you know, that there's some sort of completion, that there's a time when you will never grieve, that's the bill of goods they're trying to sell you. That doesn't happen. But grace comfort, comforts me. It makes you realize how little you are in a world spinning out of control as this one seems to be right now with people passing away around us every second in schools, in synagogues, in our families, in all sorts of places. It makes you meek and meager. I hope that it makes you hungry for the things of Christ, for the tangible, for the holy. And when you call upon that, you will be given this world and its love that it offers in the face of a culture that says different. You will be fed with the Lamb of God. And so my note today for all saints is to be merciful with those siblings, with those friends, with those family, loved ones, spouses. Keep your heart pure in those dealings with those whom have wronged you or whom you have wronged. Take the high road. Now sit here for a moment and think just shortly. Every person walking upon the face of the earth shares all of these roles that I've just talked about. Now granted, some to more extents and some to less, we are all evil and beautiful 
in some other person's eyes. As you sit in the here and now and look upon those eyes of Christ, cast yourself to that glassy place where there is no pain of tears and pain of death, where we shall all arrive at at some point and see that love and know that that love is here now because the kingdom of God is here now. Even in the suffering, it is here. It is up to us to search and to grab the ineffable joy and to not give in to the pain all the time, even though we're always going to have it and we can learn through it. You're stuck with me all the way and with everyone else. And where the rest of children of God are at this moment, whether they've gone before or departed or whether they stand with us here worshiping or whether they are in other parts of the world, we are mysteriously sewn together, knit together in one union. We are all one in Christ, knit together, and he is one in us the world over. And guess what it is that God calls us? Saints. Saints.